170 plus episodes. My God, that's how long I've been cranking away at this machine, spinning knobs, turning dials, bopping it, twisting it, pulling it, flicking it. Let me tell you, time flew, time flew, flew right by, and boy, are my arms tired. Hi, everybody, it's Casey. Tony, your editor, which is what I would normally say in these uh, when on occasion they do happen. Uh, But today I actually have an announcement to open the show with. Uh, I am going on sabbatical. If you follow the show on Twitter, you may have already seen something about this. Uh, But I'm just taking a bit of a break uh, because, you know, as I said, I've been bopping it uh, for for several years straight. Come on, man. I've been bopping it. I've been bopping away. And uh, and it's just time, uh, you know, to uh, to get a little rest. Uh, so I'm going to be uh, taking uh, an extended sabbatical from Skyjacks. And in the meantime, I want to welcome your new excellent editor, Allie Grower. You may already know Allie if you are a big Skyjacks head because Allie already has plenty of experience editing in the Spear universe for Courier's Call. So apart from just being a talented editor, Allie is the perfect person to take the reins for a while and keep this machine bopping and twisting and popping and shoving and locking all the time like it does, like you love. And there is going to be plenty more to love because I already know what happens in some upcoming episodes, uh, at least for a stretch. And let me tell you, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you, actually, I got, I zipped my lips at that point. I'm not going to tell you, don't let me tell you, don't even try to let me tell you, I'm not going to do it. I'm only here to tell you to have a good rest of your uh my break (laughs) have a good rest of your of have a good rest of your my break as you continue to enjoy this wonderful fantastic show give Allie a warm welcome on twitter and give yourself a round of applause for being such good fans of this show congratulations this is about you today okay this is about you today you did it I'm so proud of you. It brings a tear to my eye. Okay, everybody. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you later. be here in these woods and I kind of don't have a sense of like where is out Mm. we are in someone else's place entirely this the woods they belong to the forest queen Acheron had its accord we we stayed in our areas and, and we offered the queen praises and gifts when we took anything from her areas and that was the way it seems that whatever rules the Your Accord was under have now changed, but we can't really play a game if we don't know the rules. So, I suppose we're going to have to ask the person who sets the rules. What? We're going to call the Forest Queen? We are in her house after all. I assume she's listening to our conversation. I don't want to talk. We shouldn't bother. We don't. You don't bother the forest queen. You don't call the forest queen. You let the forest queen be, and then you are you stay out of the forest. Hip like places a hand on your shoulder and tries to calm you. Whether we mean to be here or not, 
we're here. I think Oromar is right. We gotta make a deal. What's more, if we are here, then that means the rest of the crew of the Uhuru are here, and I wouldn't be your captain if I didn't put everything on the line to make sure that my crew was safe. That hits Jonnet, and it makes total sense, and he's upset about it, but he's like, no, you're right, the rest of the crew is here. Again, because Oromar has not met the Forest Queen, he doesn't necessarily know how this works. And he just kind of like points at the sky with one bloody finger and goes, uh, Forest Queen, I believe one of your children is in need of their body back. Are you making this announcement as part of an entreaty to the Queen? Heck yeah. To gain audience. Mm hmm. May I make this a charm roll? Or, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I have, a, I have a charm or a negotiation. I guess either is fine. Um, oh, man. We're going to have to be charming. Okay. Yeah. What is John's yeah, make charm? Yeah, make a charm roll. Mm-hmm. Funny thing. Travis's <laughs> presence is very high, or at least higher than mine. It's two, and he's put, mm-hmm. like, ranks into charm. Oromar is dead, so has a presence of one. So my charm is only a single green, but I will still roll it. Uh, are you doing this by yourself? Yeah, you, you do your thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what's the what's the difficulty? I'm gonna draw a luminary to determine the difficulty here. <laughs> I feel like that's that's the way to go on if this. If it's a forest queen, oh baby, it is the perfect crime. <gasps> Hey! <laughs> hey! Okay. All right, all right, that's right. cool. Mm-hmm. I think this is an easy check. Cool. I think we've got a blue die because part of the treaty you you, you announce like one of your children um, mm-hmm. needs his body back, which I think that means you have something the 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 queen wants. Like you're mm. starting from from a good place. So yeah, roll that. Yeah, while pointing at the sky, and as I roll a dice, he continues, If things stay as they are, it might not necessarily come back in good condition. (laughs) That is a single advantage. You feel through the wind that moves through the branches, through the calls of birds in the forest, the ambient, loud silence that is a forest. You feel, if you seek audience with me, then come to my glade. Mm. Oh, there's a pause and a think. Where Oromar woke up in Travis's body was considerably more cushy than where we currently are. We're currently in forest hell, but that was in a nice flower garden, soft, relaxed, nourished, moisturized. Oromar thinks, oh, Blast, was I already there? Did I wander away from the Forest Queen's court and got into all of this when I could have stayed put? But then I did hear the screaming of battle. Uh, Let's not dwell on that. I don't suppose... I could retrace my steps, he says, kind of like looking back to where he came, realizing that he reached this current position through a haze of illusion and with no obvious route back to where he previously had traveled. Did you also have to walk through rocks to get here? I fought through the burning remains of the Uhuru as everybody I knew and loved uh, perished in the name of keeping ourselves free. So, Rock sounds pretty good by comparison. (laughs) Yeah, um, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna complain. Um, I thought mine was kind of, I guess mine was more of an inconvenience. (laughs) Well, you did have to, like, fight your sister. 
Yeah, well, that's not yeah, nothing. Fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Walk through rocks, fight my there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is what I did. But also, I don't know. Yours sounds like a lot of things. <laughs> the the a, a mouth opens to respond and then doesn't respond. <laughs> Either way, though, unless the glade is in a position to present itself, we would like to respond to your RSVP. Dorabel says now, faintly sweating. Jonet kind of joins in. Uh, uh, yes, Forest Queen, and he's his eyes are like very frantically darting. He does not know where to look, but he's looking up. Uh, yes, uh, we we wish. No, no, to- no, 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 no. Uh, you you hear? You feel like a hand clamp over your mouth, but like you cannot see it. It's an extremely disorienting mm. thing. Do not ask things of her. For she takes things in return. We, if we want to make our way through this, we, she told us, if she summoned us to the glade, that's where we got to go. But we got to figure that out on our own. Because mm. otherwise, mm. we're going to owe her. Mm. So, uh, he takes his hand off of Jeanette's mouth. What is he saying? We don't ask. We solve with uh, what we know and what we can do. Now, be, be, being around, being around. Having gone around, spent some time around forests, I know it's said that the Queen's Glade is in a place with mosses so delicate that sunlight can bruise them beyond a thickets that are gnarling so deep that no map can unravel them, and finally beyond a central ring of silver grove trees. Nodding, thinking inwardly. We get, you know, a brief. There, there, there was a period of time between young, cocky, daring do Oromar and grizzled, hyper experienced current Oromar, mm-hmm. where I think there was just a period of time where he just had to do some studying about the nature of sphere, all the survivalist tactics that he didn't have to do being an uh, working for the red feathers in the air there's also something oromar is from bandari which Mm. is a culture that has a remarkably different relationship from the forest queen than the rest of sphere does the bandari people are sailors it's said in the height of their time the best sailors in the world who made the best ships and part of that is wood from the forests of Bandari, wood which was bargained for from the queen herself. Mm-hmm. It is said that the great King Gina himself struck a deal with the queen that allowed the Bandari people to take their wood to use to build their ships. What I think I would like to do is I would like to make a knowledge check of some kind, probably knowledge adventuring, Maybe yep. combining it with like the knowledge of what Hip knows about the circumstances. So we both know different sides of the Forest Queen culturally and the relationships we've had with her. And I think putting those two puzzle pieces together may find something consistent or coherent so that we can act upon as we navigate the forest. Yeah. Let's roll this up. I think the roll is hard. Mm-hmm. I do think you have uh, an advantage uh, like a blue dye that mm-hmm. comes from your experience, which is wholly unique um, mm. to the Forest Queen. You could juice this role in, in different ways. You can always entreat a luminary for it. Mm. But if you if you feel like you've got enough, hard is the yeah. Role. I, I think we're I think we're pretty good. My knowledge of adventuring is too yellow. Plus a blue mm-hmm. puts me in pretty standard odds. And you know, want to keep it pushing, keep the pace up. Huh. All right. <laughs> so we are currently at one threat and a triumph. Okay. Hey. Well, triumph carries a success with it. Mm-hmm. So you are going to be able to navigate through. Like, mm. th- that is not a question. I think that this, you know, like you start 
moving. And I feel like what you do, like you had the instinct at first, and I think it was a good one of where you woke up felt like it was a sacred place. Mm. And kind of what you need to do is navigate back there to because if you're at least starting from there, that must somehow be closer. Mm -hmm. So the success is you being able to know the path to the Queen's Glade. The triumph is that like you start tracking your steps and as you do, you and Hip back and forth trade between you what you know of the Forest Queen, the Mm. stories that you have heard, uh, uh, the respects that must be paid, kind of like sussing out her mythic personality. Mm -hmm. As you do this, like you track through the woods, which, you know, you you had mentioned like kind of the survival skills and whatnot that Oromar has. Like Mm -hmm. I do kind of think he knows how to track a little bit. And lucky for him, this was such a desperate like sprint through the woods that you left quite the trail Mm. to track. So you move back through until you arrive at the glade and the triumph is or, 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 or arrive where you started. This is a piece of forest that you can kind of feel. And Jonnet, I think, with his eye would be able to confirm this is a part of the forest that does not belong to the queen. Hmm. But starting from here, just beyond this point, you can see a place where the lattice of branches and trees stretches so high It is dark here, almost twilight, and there is gentle moss beneath that if sunlight were to touch it, it would bruise. And you can move on from there to find a thicket crisscrossing of roots and branches that is so dense and so deep that your mind unravels trying to make a path through it. Because of your success and and your triumph, I I think your group is able to push through. And part of it is you are able to go through blind. You can tie your bandanas, your scraps of shirt around your eyes and place your faith in Jonnet. And Jonnet is able to carve the path forward, pushing through the thicket until... Oh, kind of as... Because we're going back where mm. uh, we're th- this is starting with going back, uh, retracing the captain's steps, mm-hmm. right? So I feel like yes, one hundred percent. I feel like there's maybe like a moment or two where like Jonnet is like maybe opens his eyes, is two eyes, and maybe peeks and kind of just sees the wreckage of what the captain is able to do in like this frantic war state that they mm. were in. And it's just like, I think there's just like a moment of like, holy crap. <laughs> That's it. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I want to, when you come across like the area where the captain woke up, this feels like a strange and sacred place. Because of this triumph, I would like you to roll a perception check, Jonathan. I don't know. I don't know that you'll get it. It will be a hard perception check. Um, and I remember Jonathan's perception is not Pretty wonderful, low. which is kind of funny. <laughs> but this is also kind of a long shot thing. Oh, come on. So that comes down to a luminary come pole. On. That comes down to a luminary oh. pole. Uh, the Maelstrom. The Maelstrom. Oh. Well, that, that's... That's, yeah. <laughs> that's Illumot rules. Uh, okay. So the Maelstrom. This symbolizes chaotic change. Mm. So what you see in this place is like... It's almost like a tornado frozen in glass. It is a point of change, of significant universal change, like being at the heart of a maelstrom where the seasons bend and twist together into an amorphous thing. There is a locus of that here 
in this place. Throughout all of the forest thus far, there has been the presence of the queen. But here, it's absent. There is another presence here that you can feel, but not quite put your finger on. It feels familiar to you, as though, as though it's a friend, familiar and gentle and kind. There's almost a pang of regret you feel stepping out of this place to continue on your journey towards the Queen's Glade. Um, yeah, I think as they move through that space, there's like a slowing of steps, never, never fully stops, and then you move into the next area of, of the forest and continue on. And there's, a, there's like a look over the shoulder as Jonnet kind of like walks away from that space and it's like, I don't know what that was, but I'm sadder than I was before I walked through and we don't have time for that. Like the last day of summer. We push through and we reach the gnarled grove, which again, so tangled, no map could unravel it. No mind can comprehend it. You... Beginning to push in, you can feel yourselves getting lost, and it does come down to having to blindfold yourselves, having to trust in only what Jonnet can perceive through his connection to the universe. And I think, again, <laughs> Jonnet gets bonked one time. One time. <laughs> every, it was like it was a it was a it was a hearty bonk. I don't think anyone else noticed but uh, there was just like a low-hanging tree, and he got he he bonked himself. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that because Hip is in a similar position to early Jonathan and has no control over when the eye opens or what it does mm-hmm. or how to use mm-hmm. it, and there's a period of time where there's like you know a couple of different ways, and you hesitate, and Hip is like to the left. <laughs> how do you know <laughs> just to the left i love that and i i i'm so intrigued by this dynamic of like here's when hip is speaking can't understand what mm. hip is saying and then has to like kind of like turn to the captain for like huh mm-hmm. i love that he says it's to the left and uh to be honest who am i to disagree okay all right um they traverse i i think like I think at one point, Jonnet maybe turns to the eye and kind of doesn't necessarily know where to look and also kind of doesn't feel like want to like stare at the eye, but kind of just says to that space of like, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time remembering you. The eye turns towards you as hip turns to face you. Hip looks down at Jonnet, Jonnet who has definitely grown to be a man. That is so undeniable. You know, even were it not for the ceremony in the six months, I mean, it's probably been more since Hip saw Jonnet. Might even just be nine months since Hip saw you. There is such a change in Jonnet. You know, it's not just the inches that he has grown. It is not just the ways that his face his face has changed or his muscles have come in. It is the look that he has being a person who has lived the life that he lives. He looks down at this young man who used to be the boy that his friend raised and that he has so much affection for. I know, I know you can't hear me, but... Jonnet, if you did this, I know you did it for the right reasons. And I hope that through it all you can feel that and that you know that. You just lock eyes with this eye that is a part of this person who is trying so hard to communicate this to you. What comes through it is a gentleness, and you get at least that. I feel like, yeah, that that white noise for like a, a second is more of just like a soft breeze and then it kind of fades back to static and then he kind of like looks at the captain and then kind of like gives a nod to the eye and they continue on. So we 
come to out of the gnarled thicket towards the heart of the queen's forest, you can see ahead of you a shimmering silver glow, the bark of a silver grove tree. There is a ring of these trees that that stretches on around the clearing that makes up the queen's glade. Here, the air is full of the thick and sweet scent of flowers. The air is warm and mild. Everything about this place offers the kindest gifts of summer. You know, it's so wild to be in here. Like I've been I've been so afraid of everything about this forest and it's don't tell the queen I sent this but it's very beautiful. Unfortunately, many deadly things in our lives are pretty in their own I, way. That, that happens a lot. It <laughs> happens a lot. There's an entire archetype of them tell. <laughs> Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. I hope everyone is passing on their well wishes to Casey and their welcomes to Allie. I think this is a pretty great first episode of Allie's tenure. Heroes in the Seattle, Washington area on March 3rd, myself and the boys from the System Mastery podcast are going to be at Emerald City Comic Con. We're running a tabletop RPG-themed game show with prizes for the audience. So if you happen to be at Emerald City and you want to see us, the place to do it is room 423 and 424 starting at 2.15 p.m. And bring all your RPG knowledge because there are prizes to be won. We're also going to be making appearances at C2E2 March 31st through April 2nd, ACD Games Day May 24th through 26th, and Gen Con August 3rd through 6th. And there will be a Skyjacks live show at Gen Con this year. Just be sure at all major events to be courteous to everyone around you and stay up to date with your vaccines and wear a mask. As always, a huge thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. This show would not be possible without Patreon support. Everything that you are hearing this arc, all of these cool moments would not be in your ears unless there were people who went over to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and signed up to give us some support. In return, you get cool bonus content, but most importantly, these shows stay on the air. Before we get back to the show, a quick word from our sponsors. And with all that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. Liz, the morning star turns to you. Forgiveness is not beyond yours. You are wanted. You are needed. Cherished one. You are loved. All you need do is take my hand. And we will build redemption together. If I seek absolution, it will not be from you. It will be from every one of my brothers. I have to take another 200 years to apologize to each of them in turn. I am so disappointed, Uriel. I do not wish to have to do this. I am Travis Matico. And my friend, Uriel, Travis looks over and winks, and I will be leaving this glade unharmed. And then I want to try and transform cool <laughs> so travis oromar's body begins to change <sighs> you transform into a bird it's a seraphim hummingbird mm. this is a hummingbird that has a gold and silver pattern mm-hmm. that when it beats its wings creates the effect of like the many eyes of an angel so that is just a decision that was made in the past completely unrelated to this moment paying off in in a delicious narrative juice so you 
begin to fly. And you appear in front of the morning star that tongue lashes out and grabs a portion of wings. The morning star reels and the seasons change <gasps> around you. And the morning star pulls a spear from the air and begins to fight you both. I just want to know a little bit of how that fight is like beginning and going because I know Gable is struggling right now. Well, I do want to give Gable the feathers because I don't I don't like feathers. I don't want to be touching them. Yeah, if that's like the first thing that Travis does and like we can get that right away and figure out how to resolve that. The Morning Star is very clever. So I think there is a period where he is trying to prevent you Mm. from getting the feathers. Okay. This could have been so much different. All you needed to do was listen. I'm going to grab his spear. Yeah, so like he'll he'll stab down, you'll grab the spear. Mm-hmm. Are you like planting it to try and prevent him from getting it back? Yeah. Oh, teacher, your lessons seem to have gone unused. I prepared you for the wrong things. And then a pillar of fire like shoots up oh. in front of you and like there is this spar of you two trying to come together and the morning star trying to come between you. The thing is, the morning star is fast. Mm -hmm. So unnaturally fast. But so is Travis. And even though you are sluggish and tired, a thing that becomes apparent to you as the spear thrusts at you and you parry with your sword is that the morning star possesses power. So much power. It's almost unlike anything you've ever seen. But the Morning Star holds his power like a desperate man grappling with a troublesome beast. He moves as much of his strength struggling against it to move it as he is able to wring out of it. The Morning Star may have power. All the power of all the fallen feathers of all the fallen angels that he could find. But he struggles to hold it. He struggles to use it. Despite his speed, the way it lashes out against you is slow and clumsy. And you, who has spent 200 years fighting for your life and the life of everyone who touched yours, the way you hold yourself, you are stronger. You might not be able to summon that strength right now, but it is apparent. How do... Actually, you know what? I think the feathers will come in contact with you with the next luminary. That is the Skyjack. (laughs) And let's... uh, Is that a a James D'Amato original? That's a James D'Amato Ridge, baby. It it just became a thing that was absolutely necessary. You are slowly raised into the air about 13 feet in a safe manner so as to clean high windows or gutters and you are lowered down at an equally safe speed in compliance with all local regulation adventure courage and travel and safety so i think the way that you get these feathers to gable is somehow representative of the way your relationship has changed since you have been on the uhuru together can I does the morning star still have the spear or is yeah. he okay I think the morning star like you separate the morning star from the spear at, at a certain point the morning star can call another one yeah. like these oh you know what I think this melee has happened where you are striking back and forth at each other like you are trying to like stab or grab at the morning star with your beak barely avoiding his attacks he is throwing spears of of different varieties. I gotta think there's that cool, weird, twisty, forked spear from Evangelion. Like, gotta gotta have a callback to that. I feel like these weapons are littering the ground. Each one of them is a feather. I have an idea. Mm. Here we go. Okay. So, I think right now these feathers are in my beak. Mm -hmm. I think being in my beak means that I am not touching them. I and when I touch feathers I freak out and have a bad time. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling 
pretty high on my own supply right now. I think that I could maybe power through that and use the feather in a fun, cool way that could help. So what I want to do, since I have grabbed a handful of feathers, I want to like try and get touch one to see if I can make it part of my bird body and give one to Gable so that we can kind of like do some kind of wonder twins or something where we're both using the power of feathers <laughs> together the power of the feathers of this bad person to kill this bad that person. That are probably someone else's feathers. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think <clears throat> Travis, like, takes a leap of faith and swallows the feathers. Oh, my God. Like, incorporating them into oh. his being. And, like, we are at, you know, this hummingbird is, like, flapping really, really fast and creating the illusion of eyes in the air. It's not an illusion anymore. <laughs> Those eyes are now floating around this being. I think also like a thing that I haven't mentioned on air about Griffins before, but like we can now confirm uh, on air because it is part of our uh, materials for a new zine that I'm working on. Griffins are made of hardier stuff than regular birds. It's not just scaled up feathers like they're super tough. I do think you like take a hit or two from the morning star. You like buzz around in the air, manage to recover, but like it is almost like the clanking of like spears against armor for you. And you are sort of now moving in concert with Gable trying to line things up, but you cannot get close to them. And you have the realization that you are already with them. You are always with them because of the connection you share through the threads. Okay, I'm imagining right now because when in the past when I've touched feathers, they've taken me to like the forest, the the uh, uh, the, well, the like an empty space where you were seeing the cutting stone. When I swallow these feathers, and we're, I feel like I fight, I fight that away mm -hmm. to to get into the fight. But when the, when I'm realizing that it's not working the way I want, I want to slip into that space, and I'm hoping that Gable will also be there. I think what I, I will meet you halfway there. Okay. I think what happens is you start struggling through the fight. The thing about the Morning Star is he's got all the power in the world. The ground is like littered with spears that he has thrown or have been planted that you've managed to cleverly dodge and move your way around. You know, we joke about Gable being trained and whatnot, but Gable is fighting like the angel of justice right now, moving in the dance, dancing around the blows and weapons. So you've managed to avoid the worst of the attacks. But then the morning star moves to the second phase of his battle, where those spears stuck in the ground are lightning rods. And thunder starts getting called from heaven. You are battered about by the shock waves of the thunderstorm and maybe a strike or two. You can feel yourself being cooked inside by the judgmental lightning. And that feels you slipping into the river, into the space that is dominated by the cutting stone. But you are held from that place by a thread. Mm. A thread of a promise, a thread of love, a thread of friendship. Whatever thing it is that you share with Gable that you have built over 200 years pulls you back. And it shows that you are not just two separate beings, you are one being. And through that, the feathers that you have ingested mm. are also a part of Gable. If we're going to die, it's going to be at each other's hands. By the way, I got to tell you something about that. <laughs> you saw me. You saw me shuffle, right? I... Yeah. <laughs> no! The final card is the Forest Queen. Oh. And folks keeping track at home, I really need you to keep track of how many times the Forest Queen and the Changeling have been drawn in this arc specifically. That's this wild. specific arc. Arc. I like how the three that were drawn here were the Changeling, the Skyjack, and the Forest Queen. Yeah. Look at wild. Us. Absolutely yeah. wild. Uh, Liz, I would like you to describe Gable's power up. 
Oh. Like, you are juiced by Gable gets a hummingbird dick. Fe- mm, there we go. <laughs> like a clock. Like a clock <laughs> that only goes from 6 p.m. to 9, 9 p.m. <laughs> or or a.m. Or a.m. <laughs> so, but we're talking about the Boris Queen, right? Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen her. Mm. I think I meet the lady. Interesting. Like, we... Both Travis and I kind of like bend back into this other. Oh, realm. what if what if she starts to? I know how she is going to support you. Okay, um, but my my question is just if Gable suddenly gets a bunch of new feathers, what does that look like? A bunch of feathers. It's uh, like when Papa eats a can of spinach. I imagine. I'm. <laughs> so did spinach used to come in cans? Yeah, dude. Huh. Lots of things used to come. I guess so. I guess everything did. Pretty easy to can spinach. Yeah. 1930. You don't have fresh produce. You got to ship it across. In my, I, in my head, it was always frozen if you're not getting it fresh. But I guess that was not so much. You get bread in a can. Hmm. We're looking for ways to like cover up the sky. And obviously, the queen doesn't can't control the sky. But the queen can control fog right at the Ooh, tree line. Yeah, sure. So a bunch of fog rolls in to kind of obscure the the battleground but it also like cools down a lot of things makes it kind of murky bring like lays out a lot of the fires and it just we start breathing in this fog that's filled with pollen and all that festering bog juice that we've been breathing in and through that coming out through the lungs and coming out just a lot of mire starts streaming out of their orifices and eyes. But through that, what used to be just a a bunch of tattoos on their arm, it starts bubbling up with rashes in the shape of new feathers. Cool. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, like, we've made a lot of distinction, or at least I have, in the Maiden in the Heart, the difference between the Queen's Light and the Sovereign's Light, Mm -hmm. and how... The light of the stars and whatnot is for the sovereign and can be seen by the sovereign. The queen does not allow creations of the sovereign to see through her fog. And that is the advantage right now is the morning star cannot see you, but slowly he is intensifying the severity of his attacks. The earth splits open around you, and lashes of lightning strike down from the sky continuously across the ground all around you. Fragments of swirling maelstroms open up around you, causing the seasons in the immediate area to rapidly shift one after another. Trees turning amber and losing their leaves before rapidly regrowing them only to lose them again to become the bony skeletons of winter, all in the stretch of a few seconds. Pockets of gravity shift around you, with sections of earth lifting out of the ground and trees being pulled taut until they shatter beneath the weight of tremendous pressure. And Gable, you have your sword, and you can feel the heat of the flames of judgment wafting off of it. As tired and wounded as you are, thanks to the power of these feathers... Right now, in this moment, you are so much closer to who you were when you slew the Sovereign than you have been in 200 years. You line up your attack. You move forward and strike. You put what you think is everything you have into this blow. And so much of it echoes what happened when you slew the Sovereign. And then you feel the blow stop as... The fog billows back with the impact of the blow. The sonic boom echoes through the area. Travis, like, buzzes a little bit and, like, struggles to remain in the air. As you see that your sword has come into contact with a shield. And you can feel how heavy and shaky your limbs are. How tired you are. And how, if circumstances were different... Maybe you could push through, but right now, you are still a wounded thing, an angel with its wings carved away, swinging against the creature 
that wields the power of the empty throne. With a flick, you are thrown back to the earth. You are buried in the ground. Travis races towards you, and you struggle to to reclaim some part of yourself, to stay in the fight. There is maybe a tinge of mortal fear as the morning star sighs a heavy sigh and fire spills out from the bottom and top of his hand to form itself into a brand new golden spear that he lines up ready to wipe you perhaps out of existence or at least pin you in place permanently. And then he is struck on either side by Metatron and Ferdinand. The queen has sent her aid. Griffins who are in her forest. There is Metatron's squeak or squawker. Metatron's raptor's cry as he slams into the morning star. Travis beats over and hits the morning star as well. He's shaking. He's in a space where he is now fighting too many opponents that are moving too quickly. Ferdinand is the fastest species of duck in the world, moving way too quickly for the Morning Star to to be able to deal with, while at the same time, a massive red-tailed hawk is raking at him with its talons, and the aspect of the changeling itself borrowing some of the queen's power within the queen's domain is striking at the same time. You thought you gave all of yourself earlier to your blow. Whatever is left you have to give to this. What does it look like, Gable? I don't think it's a blow. I think it is an attempt to rocket him back upwards. How do you rebuke him? You do a, a me- give him a, a, such a powerful suck it Just, that he has no choice but to be rocketed yeah, cross back. chopping. <laughs> <laughs> like our friend Waluigi. <clears throat> Degeneration X. I'm going to attempt to cast... One last spell, I think. It'll be small, but it will be divine. Because that's all I can do. And I'm going to take a cue from Jana and try and do earth magic. Just do a quick fist pound on the ground and see if the Force Queen will just launch him up out of her domain and cover us with fog if possible. So, I think... Ferdinand is like circling around him and striking at him uh, with Travis like they're working together and then Metatron dives from the air and like pounds him like driving into the ground. He is struggling against the power of this massive bird and you manage unable not even having the strength to lift your sword. You run over knowing you only have this opportunity. You stand in front of the morning star who is like using his wings to keep himself standing up and you step onto the earth like you have seen Jonnet do and you feel your connection to it and you feel how that has been broadened by the the power of the forest queen and you can feel the sensation, the echo of your footprint move through the whole of sphere and double back and join again at your point as you push your opponent up and away, rejecting him from the earth. And then Gable passes out because those last two strain put me on zero for everything. Travis, mm-hmm. you've got a problem. And this is a problem that I will leave you with. Currently, You're a massive bird, Mm -hmm. a massive hummingbird, Mm -hmm. to be specific. You are in the sky. You are not in the queen's domain. She does not have power over you. And that will be the case as long as you remain in the sky. And it is tiring to be a hummingbird. And Gable has just passed out. (laughs) Am I able to see where the rest of our friends are from my vantage point? I think you can you can fly higher, certainly. I would like to do that, please. 
You fly high, high over the forest, which is all forests. It is extremely disorienting to see the queen's domain from above, the way it is in one place and all places at the same time. I think the important thing that you see as the day has worn on a little bit, like we are beginning to approach evening, you can see in the distance over the faint, like like the fading light in the sky, glowing orange of the Uhuru's sails, alit and currently trying to break free of the forest. So you know where the ship is. Cool. We find ourselves in the captain's quarters of the Skyship Uhuru during a tense negotiation uh, with a potential new business partner. Now, I don't see what the problem is. I've brought 28 large wine bottles, and what is in them is certainly wine, and there's no reason to worry, and I know that when this ship is booked as a cruise vessel, you can bring as many bottles of wine as you want on it. As the per fact that you are still rules. talking in this room, we have said no. We have said no many times. All right, we put it to a majority vote, and we have said no. Mister, Mister Lightfellow, the, believe it or not, the problem is not. It has nothing to do with duty taxes or or liquor laws from port to port. It's the cattle. It is the, the 128 cattle. head of cattle that you want to bring on the ship. It's quite a few. N- now, if they are in the wine bottles, it should not be a problem. Anything <laughs> can be brought in a wine bottle on a cruise ship. We all know this. Firstly, firstly, the limit is two bottles of wine per bag. And just because you put all of these well, larger wine bottles in larger bags, I feel like you are... Uh, Taking advantage of the rules as opposed to using them as guidelines. You are trying to, we put a lot of thought into these rules and you are undoing all the hard work that we have done. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're telling me that there is, (laughs) is it one cow per bottle or is it multiple, or is it one cow split across multiple bottles? I don't think I need to answer that question. No, I, I need to know. Um, uh, hmm. I'm trying to take over your southern accent, apparently. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's been happening. That yeah, has been now, happening for the last hour and a half. We are all slowly becoming southern gentlemen. It's very frustrating, I do declare. We are backsliding <laughs> deep into the sweaty south. Y- y'all would... Now... Y'all would fit in so well on the ranch. Maybe you let me take these wine bottles of who knows what on this ship. And then y'all can come down to the ranch gratis. Gratis? For free? Well, I I do declare that is a tip muffler. You know, I just realized that I think Spit looks like the guy from the old Mountain Dew bottles. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, well, uh, Bathroom Barry did uh, take a holiday in the ranch recently, and uh, I do wonder uh, if he did actually have a delightful time. Or uh, I can't, I can't imagine he didn't. Well, it's very discerning gentleman, I must say. So, um, but he came back more southern than he left. All right, (laughs) it's uh, you, you have you have to like wash that stuff off. It takes weeks to get out. That southern charm is thick as molasses. (laughs) All right. I, getting back to the bottles, I, we understand. Let's all assume for a moment Mm -hmm. that we're letting the bottles on. Great. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll see you in port. Assuming. Are, are these, please answer the question, are these animals alive in these bottles? Well, the, the pause is far too long. <laughs> Deafening. 
I think you'll I think you'll find that there's no way to know whether or not these animals are alive until the bottle is open. Okay. So, <laughs> so your middle name Sh- is Schrodinger's <laughs> cattle. <laughs> That's a, a fine spice mix that, <laughs> that you produce. I understand. Look, look. What I am or am not going to slaughter aboard this ship should not matter as long as it enters and exits on wine bottles as per the rules of cruising. You don't take the bottles off with you on cruises. You're supposed to consume them and leave. You eat bottles? Slaughtering aboard the ship. Hold on. Oh, hold on a second. Slaughtering (laughs) aboard the ship. Unless we have an influx of red feathers. I don't think there's going to be much to slaughtering of anything up here. Well, I've got 128 bottles of cows that say otherwise. So you're saying that the process of you putting them in the bottles was not slaughtering them? Uh, well, I'm saying there's no way to know there's until I open it up. And if okay. I open the bottle up and they are alive, that will not be for long. Because here's the thing. A man with the sort of career as I have can't really take a break. People need their beef We've all been saying it. It's the slogan of the Lightfellow Ranch. People need their beef. People need their beef. People need need their beef. That's the brand. (laughs) (laughs) It's so catchy. (laughs) We brand it on all our cows. People need their beef. And I can't. I can't take a break, but I want to enjoy the sights and sounds of the open air aboard your cruising vessel. Okay. I heard there's a. I heard there's a water slide that goes out off the side of the ship. (laughs) <laughs> and well. it jettisons you off into open air, and uh, it's it's more... and any water that you'd be landing in in the first place would not be safe. <laughs> Cannot stress that enough. The water on the slide is suspect as it is. I understand that's the real anyway. thrill, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I've been to those uh, theme parks before, those uh, attraction <laughs> venues where well, you kind of have to sign your life away. With a water slide? Yeah. 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 They're all bad, bottom to top. <laughs> it's not a safe idea. Listen, I I think the wave pool will work out eventually cable i don't i don't think it will will. i think it will and (laughs) just because someone may have drowned it's fine every single time the wave has been generated somebody gets dragged beneath Mm -hmm. by a siren it's and we check (laughs) we we got a net in there we scrape they show up as the wave arrives I think that's on us for not doing good siren checks, though. Mm. I still feel very strongly about our go-karting enterprise, though. I think that might be one of the... Uh, uh, I mean, if we are going to be pivoting into both uh, luxury travel and piracy, I figure... I have to protest the waterfall on the go-kart track. It's the same problem as all the other water-based attractions. Sirens, yeah. <laughs> Look, I just needed a water feature to get the feng shui of the race course to be it's how I balanced. personally It's a it. very balanced go-kart you know? track. I'm spiritually at peace. The people who have been dragged away under the water, maybe less so. But to be I honest, wanna say we gotta we have to change a bring your own turtles policy because people have been throwing turtles at each other on the on the go-kart track <laughs> and it causes crashes. It, I think it's too dangerous. Now I know it's you fun. want people to bring more of them. Now you own. can bring your own turtles. Hey, uh, the, is there any restriction on what you put in those shells? <laughs> well, I think I might have actually have a solution for your bottling if you've got any spare. Uh, since obviously uh, we need a way of surprising our guests on the go kart with the items that they may or may not be using on the ride, and they mm. and these these compressed items need to be in a relatively small space. And mm. it seems that your bottling technology has been uh, pretty useful. So, what do you say that we go and take some of your bottles just for? Um, <clears throat> inspection and i'm gonna take a bit of a whiz round on the course and see how they do so you want everybody to chuck cows at each other on these go-karts <laughs> <laughs> yeah it. man I, I have i have i have at least one question okay right. <laughs> okay now you have been very cagey about these bottles you have 120 what 20 Give or take. Okay. 128 bottles that you are currently uh, uh, standing in front of with your arms. He's got 127 now. (laughs) I just want to point that out. Um, You, I need to know are these 
cow weight are these the weight of cows because the ship is currently very tipped over all right uh we are currently with our uh sides pressed up against the side of the wall everything is slowly uh sliding down we are on an incline um are these the weight of cows uh yeah that's why i think y'all need to let me get to work as soon as possible because once you start the butchering process there's a lot of bone and fat that comes out it gets heavy you could yeah you could get oh <laughs> you know i could cut the, i could cut the weight of each cow by i don't know 25 percent. how much stuff inside a cow that's weight do you think you don't eat how much weight is inside of weight of a cow that's that's not that you get rid of like hooves i'm not gonna eat a hoof well it depends how sustainable your operation is. yeah you could probably not very okay <laughs> if i was to to go and bottle something else and mm, it would retain mm. the weight of the thing that I bottled. Mm-hmm. Could you yeah, bottle yeah, a cannonball? Unfor- unfortunately, yeah. Could you bottle a cannonball? Yeah, sure. I could bottle anything. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but down on the ranch, of course, we've got cattle. Uh, we've also got a winery. Uh, so we do, you know, we, we make wines that pair well with our steak. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've but- had some of that before. Von de Beauvon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we could we could bottle anything, including. Would you bottle a, bottle a car? If I if I could, I would, and I would, and I could. <laughs> you wouldn't bottle a car. Uh, it wouldn't. Uh, um, all right. I mean, if you, if you can bottle a cannonball, then mm-hmm. uh, I mean. Not to be paranoid about future encounters that we might have aboard the Uhuru, but I figure being able to go and provide our enemy with something that doesn't look like uh, 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 something dense, and then we put mm. a lot of those in the way that our ship is currently listing Wait, to is, one side. Is, is this suggestion that when they open the <laughs> wine bottle, the cannonball <laughs> explodes forth like a cannon? Look, I have been. You can't bottle the kinetic here. energy. You could, you could, <laughs> you could savor the bottles and shoot the cannons out. Look, uh, we I've cut been to some very unpleasant dinner parties. Three months later, to Red Feather headquarters. <laughs> Well, I say, it seems those rascally pirates over at the Uhuru have gifted a bottle of wine to me. I'll just <laughs> pull it. out my wine key and twist it in and begin to uncork it and... Why, this is a giant horse! Scene. Reverse Trojan horse. Oh, no. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at, at @campaignpod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. In the universe of Star Wall Odyssey, space is made out of the collective imaginations of all the thinking beings who live on various planets. These worlds are connected to each other through imagination. Common themes and ideas are strings between universes. And to get between them, people fly wooden ships that look like animals, which are powered by emotions. Also, people communicate with each other by contemplating orbs. The only way you can take pictures is getting stared at by a big psychic bug. And people have already declared victory in a war over the very concept of evil. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Starwall Odyssey follows the adventures of the hapless inhabitants of the Lucky Finn Tenement Building, who suddenly find that their apartment is actually a spaceship, and that they're lost in a sea of boundless imagination. It's an actual play starring me, James D'Amato, Mel D'Amato, Ali Grauer, and Drew Merzieski, as we playtest the No Kings system, which will hopefully one day be the Skyjacks role-playing system. It toes the line between weird and wonderful slice of life and high-flying space fantasy. You can sample the first five episodes by searching for Starwall Odyssey on your favorite podcast app, or get the whole thing by heading to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and signing up for $5 a month or more. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matago was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. 
You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at ATPTunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y-P-O-N-E-Y, or on his own podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and the card game Illimat, property of Together Studios. The game used in this production is a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system that was created by a talented group of game designers who were fired by a private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. There are no kings. Take flight, heroes. Strangers who've ever been kind And once for our friends ne'er to rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind You know we can never deny The call of the sky